I'll be on an expert panel of apartment syndicators for a friend of mine, Rod Cleef, for a three-day multifamily event that he's putting on August 24th, 25th, and 26th. Rod Cleef, myself, and the other panelists are going to teach you everything you need to know so you can buy your first multifamily deal within the next 90 days. The sooner you RSVP, the cheaper it'll be. If you go right now, it's incredibly affordable. So hurry and RSVP. That link is in today's show notes. So scroll down right now and click. All right, guys, I'll see you in Chi-Town on August 24th through 26th. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and today I'm joined with a special guest that I met at the last uh, Best Ever Conference, Matt Rodak, who uh, is one of the founders of Fund That Flip. Matt, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into doing what you're doing. Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Super excited to, to be part of the show. So um, yeah, we are a, a short-term lender specifically focused on providing uh, financing for experienced real estate investors that are, that are buying, fixing, and selling houses. Um, so we fund projects uh, primarily right now up and down the East Coast and some in the Midwest, but are starting to push out West, um, which is part of the reason why we were out in, in Denver a couple months back. Um, with ultimately being the being you know the goal being to to be a national lender for um, you know short term fix and flip investors. Um, prior to starting Fund That Flip, I was an operator myself, so I was doing uh, some fix and flip projects in Providence, Rhode Island, where I was living at the time. Um, more or less, was frustrated with kind of both the both the cost of capital, but you know more importantly, just the, the levels of service that I I guess wasn't getting, mm-hmm. um, and thought you know what. Why don't I? Why don't I build a lender? I think I can bring technology to bear. I think I can bring data to bear, um, you know, and, and kind of put a modern spin on you will if uh, of the of kind of the private money um, money space. So that's probably the other interesting thing that's worth mentioning is we source all of our capital online through a, a quote unquote crowdfund crowdfunding platform. So we syndicate the deals after we fund them out to a large network of accredited investors. We have family offices that participate. We have institutional investors participate. So. Um, really kind of the goal being is, is, you know, let our borrower customers, the real estate investors focus on what they do best, which is finding, you know, good projects and, and getting them turned, turned around and back into the market and let us really focus on sourcing the capital and making sure that, you know, each investor has the best type of capital for their project, whether that be more of the private, private money kind of, you know, high net worth individuals or, you know, the institutional capital or, or family office capital, um, that has a different, you know, risk you know, risk adjusted return profile, if you will. Okay. So, uh, as far as crowdfunding goes, um, I was under the impression that crowdfunding, you didn't need accredited investors. Is it just the, is it just the specific regulation a, that you guys are doing that makes you do it like that or? Yeah. So it really depends. There's, there's not to get too much into the legal mumbo jumbo, but there's, there's kind of uh, two exemptions, really three exemptions, I guess, that were passed as part of the law in 2013. The first one that was actually passed is called Regulation D506C, um, and kind of the nuance there between a, a typical Regulation D, which is probably what you do when you're syndicating capital for your your projects. Um, the C at the end means you can generally solicit your okay. offering. So I can advertise on the internet that I'm raising money for my business. The caveat being, um, you have to kind of uh, what this SEC says is is take reasonable steps to confirm that the person's actually an accredited investor. Um, so that's the exemption that we're, we're taking an advantage of. There's another exemption called regulation a, 
uh, Regulation A+. Plus. Um, and that does open the world to kind of the, the unaccredited investor world. Um, there's a bit more of a regulatory burden around you stuff to file with the SEC and yeah. put together a prospectus and there's kind of a waiting period. Um, and you can only raise up to $50 million under a Regulation A offering. So for our particular business, um, that business model doesn't really make sense kind of currently with, with what we're doing. Yeah, especially if you want to be uh, national and lending, $50 million goes real, real fast. It uh, does. <laughs> So um, let's talk about, you, you, you saw a problem, and one of the problems that you saw before you started your own fund um, and started helping other investors is, well, one of them was the, the expense, and the second one uh, you said was the level of service. So could we talk a, a bit about what you guys do differently to, um, to provide more service to your investors or, and also to your, the fix and flip investor too? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the big thing in this business, right, is just reliability and certainty, right? So if, if you're, you've got to move fast, if you're buying houses, especially in this market, and you need to be able to have the confidence that, you know, whoever your financing partner is going to be is going to come through with the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that used to drive me nuts was, you know, I put in a loan application into the local hard money lender and it would go into a black hole. And then, you know, three days later or 10 days later, he'd get back and be like, oh yeah, we don't like that you know, that neighborhood or that block. And I was like, well, first of all, like, why did I have to fill out like a 10 page application to like, you tell me like, you don't like that street address. Secondly, like, why did that take 10 days or even three days? Right. So like we've built our whole process to kind of leverage technology so that we can ask for as little information as we need to get to kind of that next decision hurdle. Um, And then either, you know, quickly say, yes, it looks good, but we need to check, you know, kind of these next things or no, it doesn't make sense. And here's why, you know, tell us why yeah. we're missing something or what have you. So like we really try to like be quick, be responsive, you know, provide that level of certainty to our customers that like we're going to be there for them mm. and, and kind of also at the same time reduce that, you know, administrative burden and until we kind of like are sure that we have something to work on. So like the way I think of it is like, it's a lot of give and take, right? Like you give me, you know, the initial like address and some high level specifics I give you back looks good or it doesn't, right? And if it does, then I'm going to ask for something else and we're going to kind of keep inching towards a close um, so that we're not wasting everyone's time if, you know, if we don't need to. Yeah, I, I definitely like the, the philosophy that you're going at right there. Uh, I guess the question would be um, on that. You, you mentioned a few times that you're um, leveraging data, you're leveraging modern technology, um, so what, how does that affect your business, what you're doing with pulling data and what's going on with modern technology? Yeah. So, so I think it kind of plays out in two ways for us. The first one is it helps us get to a more certain yes fast, right? So like, I don't need to send someone out necessarily to see the property I can pull or you have access to all the MLS systems across the country. So I can pull comps, We've got a whole team of analysts that are trained on how to how to look at things, what to look for, and, and develop a perspective on valuation. So we can turn around that yes or no within you know a quick amount of time without necessarily having to have boots on ground. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other thing that it does for us is depending on how certain we are on that valuation, you know we can close without an appraisal, right? So another okay. big another challenge for a lot of borrowers is you know, again, especially kind of with where we're at in the market, is that it's hard to get an appraiser out there. And we also find that, you know, half appraisers know kind of how to, how to appraise a subject to property, right? An ARV, if you will. The other half have no idea how to, right? So like, um, you know, 
again, not, not necessarily being reliant upon that appraiser to kind of give us thumbs up, thumbs down, but by leveraging the data, leveraging kind of our own understanding of the different markets that we're in, mm-hmm. um, again, improves that certainty, but also, you know, improves the speed at which we can close. Um, an example of that is we have a repeat borrower here in, in the greater New York City market came to us on the Monday before Thanksgiving um, with four projects that he wanted to take down that were about a million bucks and he needed to close on Wednesday. Wow. Um, we closed for him on Wednesday, um, right? Nice. So like we were able to kind of get comfortable with that, uh, lean into our, our previous relationship with him, um, you know, and get a deal done in three days uh, for a million bucks, right? So like that never would have happened for me with my relationship in Rhode Island, right? Yeah. One of the one of the cool things that when we were talking um, at the View House, one of the things that I remember you mentioning is uh, how you train your sales staff to um, quickly determine whether a borrower is credible. Um, you, I think you mentioned that they had a few questions that they kind of feel somebody out to understand that a little bit faster. Could you go over that a little bit, like some of the sales tactic for? Um, pre-qualifying somebody yeah and I, I think the reason this is important right is we want to get to we want to get to an answer as quickly as we can for both our sake and the customer's sake on whether or not it's something we you know it's someone we can help um so our script is is pretty pretty simple up front is you know tell us first how you find your projects right like are you doing yellow letters are you doing door knocks are you doing some type of online online campaign like how are you sourcing product right um and in, in especially again, where we're at in the, start, in, in the cycle, like you've got to have a pretty robust machine to find and be able to buy deals, right? So like there should be a pretty coherent answer around that, right? Which will tell us, all right, this person has a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the second question is, all right, how do you manage the project? Is it, you know, are you the project manager? Do you work with a general contractor? Do you have another partner that has more of the construction side of the trade? Um, and that uncovers a lot too around, you know, how involved they are. Maybe they're more of the finance and marketing kind of part of the team and they've got more of kind of the, the on-site part of the team. We like to know that. And then the third question is how do you get out of the project? What's the, what's the exit strategy? Who's your end buyer or is it a, you know, a buy and hold and you're going to refinance and, and kind of how does that work? Right? So those kind of three pieces tell us one, are the, is, this, is this person capable of purchasing right right we make money in real estate on the buy side not on the sell side mm-hmm. um are they capable of of managing the operational risk throughout the project and then you know do they have a, a a believable exit strategy on you know how we get paid back as a lender um which are kind yeah. of the, the three things that we really care about um at a very right. very high level yep. i like that a lot uh can we talk a little bit more about uh some of the terms that you guys use when lending money uh for instance how high up to the arv maybe points and percentages is there some of that uh detail that we might be able to get in in case somebody's uh wanting to maybe utilize you yeah so i'll, I'll give some ranges i mean on on the low end of points we're somewhere between you know uh, kind of two points to three and a half points, right? So somewhere in that range on origination fee on rate, we're somewhere between nine typically and 11 and a half, maybe 12, um, kind of depending on the market that we're in. Um, and the things that will kind of determine that rate are experience credit score. We do background checks, obviously the, the fundamentals of the project, how much, how much margin is in the project. Um, are we in a primary market, a secondary market, a tertiary market? So like, 
dozens of data points kind of go into our pricing model. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, that's kind of where we're at. Um, from a, from an LTC loan to cost and loan to value perspective, um, and recently adjusted these cause I think the market is, is, um, getting a little bit more competitive. So we, we've moved kind of, I think with the market, um, we'll go up, we'll go up to 90% of purchase, um, kind of as that first distribution, we're going to hold, we're, we're going to finance up to hundred percent of your construction budget. Um, so long as our total loan amount doesn't exceed 70% of the ARV, um, and obviously more leverage, uh, typically kind of corresponds with a higher rate, less leverage, kind of, you know, a lower rate. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, some of the other variables that are going in there as well. Yeah. I think it's important to reiterate that, uh, you had four $1 million properties, um, in New York city, um, that came to you on a Monday. And like you said, you closed that $4 million on just a day and a half later. Um, so that's something I think that listeners should uh, should understand is is there's there's a huge level of of underwriting the deal and the person very very quickly and as well as funding very very quickly. So uh, yeah, and, and maybe I'll just I'll, I'll just follow up on that, right? Like you know, I don't I don't pretend to be the cheapest money available to you. I think um, you know our value proposition and where we hang our hat and why people ultimately do business with us is that is that level of service, is that level of certainty. We're former operators. We understand what it means, you know, to have a, a lender leave you high and dry at the closing mm-hmm. table. Um, you know, we've never done that. We never you know plan on doing that. Um, you know, so like that that's what you're paying for. And if if you know, the difference between a 9% rate and a 10.5% rate breaks your deal. Um, it's, it's probably <laughs> not a great deal, right? And you got to ask yourself also, like, how much, how much is your time worth chasing around private lenders or a bank, you know, for 90-day closing? Or, like, there's, there's always a trade-off, right? So mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you my money is the cheapest money, but I can tell you pretty confidently that, um, you know, our, our money is going to be the most reliable and consistent for you. Um, you know, if you kind of meet our, our criteria and are delivering projects that, you know, fit into our, our sweet spot. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we could, I, I could share a personal experience. I once had 21 fix and flips under contract and, um, I had a lender say that everything was going to be funded. Uh, but about a week or so, a week or two, right before we were supposed to close, um, that lender pulled out. So we ended up having to lose earnest money on a few deals and we ended up having to pay uh, all the money that we had left. We, I think we bought three houses out of the 21 um, and had to close 100% cash on those three houses and again, lost earnest money on multiple projects basically because um, we didn't use a, a lender like you who was very, very credible. The other thing that I would mention is you're saying you're not the cheapest, but you're certainly not the most expensive. Uh, we've got four points, five points. We've got 15%. You know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of places uh, charging quite a bit more for hard money. Um, so I think it's very, very competitive and knowing that you can close fast and you're working in a lot of markets is a, is a giant benefit for people, especially I've got a few friends who do fix and flips in three or four states at a time. So using you is a a perfect uh, opportunity. Um, Are you ready for the final five questions? Bring it on. We'll get right into the final five. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. I'll be on an expert panel of apartments and caters for a friend of mine, Rod Cleef, for a three-day multifamily event that he's putting on August 24th, 25th, and 26th. Rod Cleef, myself, and the other panelists 
are going to teach you everything you need to know so you can buy your first multifamily deal within the next 90 days. The sooner you RSVP, the cheaper it'll be. If you go right now, it's incredibly affordable. So hurry and RSVP. That link is in today's show notes. So scroll down right now and click. All right, guys, I'll see you in Chi-Town on August 24th through 26th. All right, these are the questions we ask every single guest. And first one is, what's the most creative deal you've ever done, Matt Rodak? Most creative deal. So we're we're doing something I think is pretty interesting and creative. So this kind of goes to listening to our customers. And we had a a number of, of guys that were buying high volumes of properties that they were the burr strategy, right? The buy, mm-hmm. renovate, um, rent, and then refinance. Um, and to kind of take down a hundred properties a year, what they were doing is they were raising large amounts of private equity, um, right? So they were still contributing 10 or 15% of the capital, raising the other three or $4 million as, you know, as private, private equity. And they were giving away a lot of the upside, right? They were giving the money 60% or 70% of the upside, which is not uncommon in, you know, a, a true equity split, uh, they were keeping kind of their 20 promote and another 10 or 15 kind of, you know, for their, for their capital piece. And we came to them and said, well, what if we flip that, right? What if we could help you do a hundred projects? Um, you know, we could get you all the capital. We would still need you to be in kind of 10 or 15%, but instead of, um, instead of you only taking home 40%, you know, ish, what if you could take 80%? Like, is that something you'd be interested in? And of course it was. Um, so we've structured these deals in a way that, you know, our, our company fund that flip takes a 20% carried interest in the entity that owns all of the homes. Mm-hmm. Um, we waive a lot of our, our origination fees and we kind of bring our interest rate down. So it's, it's, you know, a little bit more competitive. Um, but we still bring a, a big chunk of that capital and we can do so through our relationships with, uh, debt providers, or our online platform, right? So we're able to kind of, you know, scale up with these guys that, that, um, we can lean into their experience. We can lean into their machine. Um, we can get them the capital they need to kind of go at the pace they want to go at, but keep a lot more of the upside. So like, I think it's a pretty creative structure in terms of like how we, how we get paid, um, the the benefit to the, to the, to the, you know, sponsor or investor. Um, and we're still able to provide, you know, a nice, you know, debt return to the, to our capital partners that are more interested in, in kind of playing in the, in the debt stack than the equity stack. So like, I don't know. I feel like that's pretty creative. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, yeah. what, what's a book that you would recommend uh, the listeners to read if they're getting involved in this? Um, in real estate? I mean, my, my, the very first book that I read in, in real estate specifically for flipping was Jay Scott's um, book on flipping houses. I think that's what it's called, book on flipping houses. <laughs> um, it really just lays out a very practical, straightforward kind of playbook on how to think about building a, a uh, real estate investment business specifically for, you know, residential flips. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 to be honest, we use a lot of those fundamentals even as lenders in terms of how to think about underwriting and, and, you know, putting value in, in measuring risk, um, you know, for our business. So what I definitely recommend. Wow. Okay. So Jay Scott's book on flipping houses. Um, Matt, let's get into this. Um, where were you five years ago and where do you see yourself in five years from today? Five years ago, man, I was uh, I was a sales and marketing executive for a large commercial property insurance company. Um, I ran, helped run a, a department that um, did all of sales and marketing for about a $650 million company. Uh, when I started, it was about a $950 million company when we left. 
got to do a lot of cool things, travel the world, redesign websites, train people on sales and marketing strategies all over the world. Um, but being a corporate insurance guy wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life, which is kind of how I got into real estate investing and, and now fund that flip. Uh, as far as five years, I, I can very well see myself still running this company. I think, you know, we've, we've come a long way in the last three years, but um, we still have a, a pretty ambitious you know, vision and, and goal to continue to, to grow and, and figure out new ways to, to provide value to, um, you know, our borrowers and, and our lenders. Um, I don't know what else I would really be doing if I wasn't doing this speaking totally oh. honestly. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Uh, what is your favorite way to give back? Um, so yeah, I, I, I started this company literally with no idea how to start a company and, and went through a program here in New York called the founder Institute. Um, uh, and a lot of people volunteer their time to kind of, you know, come in and teach people that have nine to five jobs that have ideas and want to, you know, get out of the, the, the rat race, if you will, and, and start their own company. Um, so I really enjoy, I'm a mentor over there now and I, I teach two or three classes a semester. Um, and really enjoy just kind of plugging back into the, the people that are, are, you know, really incubating an idea and, and, you know, have no idea what to do with it and having kind of been in their shoes, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's great to give back, but it also helps remind me of like how exciting it was back when, you know, I had this just idea and, and now, you know, sometimes you lose perspective on, on those things. Um, when you get into kind of the fist fight of running a business day to day. So, um, as much as I enjoy kind of helping others, it's also a, a, a good way to kind of keep perspective on how far we've come. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. Um, and then the last question is how do the listeners get a hold of you? Yeah. So you, you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Matt Rodak. There's not a whole lot of us out there. R-O-D-A-K. Um, and I can be reached via email, uh, Matt at fundthatflip.com. Um, also if you want to, if you have a deal you want us to take a look at, you can email it over to deals at fundthatflip.com and someone from our, our sales team will you know, be in touch and, and help help you work it through the process. Awesome. Awesome. Is there any other uh, parting advice that you wanted to share with the listeners? Just, just do it. Go do it. I mean, I think that, the, you know, the, the, the biggest, the biggest advantage that I had when I started this company was I didn't know what I was doing. Cause I think if I did know what I was doing, I wouldn't have done it. Um, and the reality is, is you're never going to, you're never going to know everything you need to know to start, start doing anything. Um, and really the only way to, to learn and figure it out is, is to do it. So Perfect. do it. <laughs> hey, thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate sure. your time. And, uh, I'll be putting your link, put it into the show notes and that'll help, uh, help our listeners be able to find you and, and use you guys. Great. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Adam. Thank you, sir. Bye. Hey, it's DJ. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener. We're glad you keep listening to each episode. And I want to ask you to please take a minute to give us a five-star review and remember, we are not attorneys or CPAs. This is just the stuff you bring to your advisors. I'll be on an expert panel of apartments and caters for a friend of mine, Rod Cleef, for a three-day multifamily event that he's putting on August 24th, 25th, and 26th. Rod Cleef, myself, and the other panelists are going to teach you everything you need to know so you can buy your first multifamily deal within the next 90 days. The sooner you RSVP, the cheaper it'll be. If you go right now, it's incredibly affordable. So hurry and RSVP. That link is in today's show notes. So scroll down right now and click. All right, guys, I'll see you in Chi-Town on August 24th through 26th.